I actually had um, I had written down uh, Chip Kelly as my third uh, worst of 2016, but I couldn't find enough research to validate my worst other than he's a terrible pro football coach. If he would have gotten fired yesterday, would he have been fired by two NFL teams in the same year? Ooh. Yes. When did he get fired from Philadelphia? Uh, I just had his Wikipedia page up, but it's not up anymore. I'll, I'll look. It, no, it was it was uh, no, it was uh, after week sixteen. It was before week seventeen. Okay, so it's probably still twenty fifteen. Yeah, okay, that'd have been crazy. So technically, he didn't get fired in twenty sixteen at all. That's a pretty good year for him. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only year in the last three that he didn't get fired. <laughs> See, this is why I should have had him in the in the bottom three. Okay, I'll put him. I'll put him back in my bottom. I'll put him back in my bottom. Three. Good luck editing that later in the show. Who's starting with drinks? Rich, are you drinking anything? I've got a Coke, so no, not really. Tell us about this uh, Coke. Is this uh, is this something new? Is this something unique? What's going on here? Yeah, it's in a uh, a red can. It's uh, holiday themed got some polar bears on it so it's pretty exciting so coke classic that's what you're going with yeah okay so uh new year's eve last night i was at the uh, sister-in-law and her husband's place and uh we were having sazeracs that's the drink that was the drink of choice last night you guys have read sazeracs no i don't know what a sazerac is okay so it's uh, essentially um it's a uh, rye whiskey uh, in a glass with uh, two different kinds of bitters uh, that's been swished with absinthe. So you swish the glass with absinthe and then pour it out because apparently, I don't know, you can taste it a little bit. And then there's like a twist of lemon in there. Where do you pour the absinthe? Uh, into a shot glass. And then down your throat. So, um, oh, and, and the other thing with this is uh, it, you put a sugar cube in the bottom of the glass before you pour the bourbon and stuff in it. So it's like a like a little sweetener too. So he had like a whole box of sugar cubes. So each sugar cube is four grams of sugar. So how many sugar cubes do you think are in one can of Coca Cola? Don't look rich. Seven. Rich, you know? No, it's got to be way more than seven, though. You think there are more than twenty-eight grams of sugar? Sure does taste like it. I'm all hopped up right now. <laughs> there are ten grams of sugar in a. Um, Krispy Kreme donut. Bullshit. I don't believe that. All right, so are you going to tell us or? Well, what's Rich's guess? I have no idea. Yeah, the answer the answer is ten. There are ten sugar cubes in that one twelve ounce can of Coca Cola. Forty grams of sugar. Is that right? Is that what the thing says? Yeah, it says thirty nine. Yeah, I was going off of uh, the three hundred seventy five milliliters, which is just a little bit more than twelve ounces. But I mean. It's a lot of sugar, but if you stack up 10 of those sugar cubes in, like, a row, that's one can of Coca-Cola. It's like, well, maybe I'll just stick to whiskey. <laughs> You're convincing me to switch here. <laughs> so, real-time follow-up. There are 10 grams of sugar in an original glazed Krispy Kreme donut. What? How's that possible? The sugar's all in the glaze. Man. I'll put that in the show notes. You can have four Krispy Kreme donuts for one can of Coca-Cola? Sign me up. I'll take four Krispy Kremes and a Diet Coke every day of the week. No, I mean, I, I won't have it every day of the week. I'm just saying I would take it over every day of the week.
So was that story to tell us that you're drinking a Sazerac? No, I'm not actually. Um, I just had, I just happened to have a random Coke story, Coca-Cola story to fit in with Rich's drink. That's all. Uh, I'm drinking uh, Templeton Rye, actually, courtesy of Mr. Lober. I think he gave this to me last year for my birthday, right? Yeah, I think so. Which, uh, you know, birthday's coming up again, just uh, in case you guys... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the email said no gifts. Yeah, that's true. It did. It did. So yeah, I'm having a Templeton Rye tonight. The good stuff. So uh, I'm drinking the champagne of champagnes. Corbell. Leftover from New Year's Eve. We didn't drink it, so drinking it now. And water. No whiskey this week. This month. Whatever. No whiskey, whatever interval we do this on. <laughs> My backup drink tonight is a blue Powerade Zero. Not diluted. My backup drink is warming water. I'm just drinking Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Got no backups. All right, so who's got any follow-up? So I have some minor follow-up uh, with my AirPods. So I have an AirPods update. Um, when my mom waited too long to order the AirPods for Christmas and my birthday, I kind of halfway told her to cancel the order, thinking that I would just be able to find them in the store. And uh, that turns out not to be so much the case. Even right now, if I look at the Apple Store, uh, it says that they're not going to be delivered to Apple stores until February 22nd, which is a long time from now, uh, a month and 22 days to be exact. And uh, so, yeah, I just uh, texted my mom and asked her, so what's the deal with those AirPods you promised me? And uh, she sent me the order. I should be getting them around February 1st. So just a wee bit late for Christmas and not quite as late, but still late for my birthday. But uh I will have a review promptly after the first week of February. When are you getting your headphones? Your your uh, new Bluetooth ones? I have no idea. They're uh, they're shipping. They just haven't announced like when they're going to get through the list through the backlog of people that ordered them. So I'll I don't know. They'll send us an email, maybe at some point. But like this season, not like not like uh, you know July or August or something like that. They're shipping them, so, I mean, depends on when they make them, I guess. What else? All right, so uh, last episode I talked about the uh, randomizer app, and I couldn't remember what the exact amount was that the TSA had paid for it. Um, And it turns out that it was reported in April uh, of of 2016 that the TSA paid as much as $1.4 million just for this randomizer app. And uh, it turns out after some like follow-up by these reporters, the TSA said, well, it really only cost us $47,000. Uh, it was part of another bigger contract with IBM. So yeah, 47000 that's not like way too high. But at the same time, uh, it does appear that all it really like literally does is point left to right. There's no, like we talked about, it doesn't seem like there's any demand-based uh you know, component to it where it checks like how many people they expect for that day or anything like that. It it appears to literally be like a roll of the dice, point left or point right. So wait, what does that app do? Because what I was talking about was whatever when you check in and you get your boarding pass and it's got TSA pre-check printed on it, even though you're not, you know, authorized. Uh, that's what I was saying. 
d- depending on how many people they expect that are TSA pre-check to come through is how they determine the how to upgrade people. No, this is like the iPad that they put at the front of the line by the ropes. And there's literally a full-time person that they pay to stand there and tap the screen of the iPad. And then when they tap the screen, the arrow changes to be left or right. And if it's left or whatever, you go to pre-check, even if your boarding pass doesn't say pre-check. And if it's right, you have to go to like the normal people's line. Yeah, okay, I don't know. I haven't seen that lately, but um, I've flown, last time I flew Delta without having TSA pre-check, even when I checked in, for some reason, they gave me TSA pre-check. Uh, probably because I'm a, not a known evildoer. So they let me through. So, I mean, I, what I think is whatever they run that against, so it was Delta, whatever Delta hits the government database, um, they should have some idea for Minneapolis. These are the people who are coming through. I don't know, maybe not because the government regulated thing, maybe they have no idea. It's possible. When we were on our way back from uh, D.C. when we flew out our Reagan, Angie actually got pre or TSA pre-check um, and I did not, but I kind of chalked that up to she had the kid attached to her as an additional service, so they just put her in TSA pre-check. But I, don't, I have no idea if that's actually how it works or not. Did you get to go through then because you were on the same itinerary? Or? I did not. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But luckily, it was kind of odd when we got to the to the security checkpoint. There were about 10 people in the TSA pre-check line, and there were zero in the uh, just kind of the regular boarding pass or whatever line. So I was curious to see if they were going to let us through. So I just went over to the TSA with them and they said, yeah, um, your wife can go, but you can't, you have to go over there. Who knows what you're hiding in your belt? Exactly. Your shoes. (laughs) Yeah. You have to take your shoes off like an animal. Yeah. (laughs) Do, Do animals wear shoes to airports? I don't know. All right. I'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) So follow up on our bowl games. Uh, we are terrible, but one of us is not as terrible as Waz, so mission accomplished. Yeah, I was looking at uh, some of the remaining brackets, and there's a very, very outside chance of still ending up in the top three, which I was surprised by. How is that even possible? Yeah, so there's, what was there, six games, so I haven't checked today, so it could be over, but there were six six games left when I looked, and... Um, I think third place had 13 losses or something like that. And I was at 16, I believe. I'm looking at the standings right now. There are five games remaining. Our Lober bracket, uh, 21 wins and 16 losses. And that's good for 11th place. Yeah. Third place is 24 and 13. Yeah, I, I don't know. It would have to go perfect, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would have to. <laughs> but the ones I looked at, there are still enough differences to where we would be able to make up that difference. But very outside chance. Well, I'm not optimistic. Waz is only 20 and 17. So that's really all our goal was, to beat Waz. Yeah, I think we only have one different from him. The all-favorites bracket <laughs> in 67th place. Out of 103, uh, 15 and 22. So 22, if we had just done all underdogs, we would actually be in better shape. Yeah. 
I think that might be the strategy next year. Have one that's all underdogs except for maybe one or two that we absolutely know are going to happen. Right, like Alabama and not Ohio State. Yeah, exactly. So moving on to Ohio State, uh, what was the final score of that game? 37-0? to 31, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. 31-0. to In a 3.5 point spread. Matt, how confident were you in Ohio State again? I can't remember. Was I? Well, I think the conversation we were having was, can you name a team who can beat Alabama? And Rich and I both said, maybe Clemson. And you said, you didn't even think Clemson was going to beat Ohio State. I still think Ohio State's the only team that could beat Alabama. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the spread on the championship game? Six points? It was at seven to open. But that was before the Ohio State-Clemson game even finished. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Clemson looked good. They did. Urban Meyer landed on my honorable mentions for uh, for worst of the year after he coached. I think he coached 194 games in his career. That's the first time that he um, put up a goose egg. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Rich. I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch any of the Clemson game because I was at a New Year's Eve party with uh, no TVs. But um, I was. Uh, I was actually quite impressed by Washington until like halfway through the third quarter. I was just about to text you guys saying how impressed I was with Washington, and then I think there was like a pick six or something. And I was like, oh, I'm glad I didn't do that. And then I think it went downhill from there. Yeah, the pick six, I feel like that was in, was that not the second quarter when uh, the Alabama defense scored the same amount of points as the Washington team did for the game? I think I think somebody mentioned that last game. Who was that? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 that was me. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing about Washington until it was, there was a third and 22 and they ran a draw play and Alabama ripped off a huge run. It's like, all right, I don't think they're going to hang with them. And then it was kind of all downhill from there. Actually, maybe it was uh, maybe it was right after the punt. I was going to text you guys how impressed I was when the quarterback punted. Yeah, that and was then nice. Alabama got that first down, and then three plays later they were in the end zone, and the game was over. But for a minute there, when they were trapped down on their own two, <laughs> it looked kind of good. Yeah, yeah. When you only score twenty four points in the game and you still cover a fifteen and a half point spread, you're good. You're a good team. <laughs> That's hard to do. NC State, though, I thought uh, Rich, they were probably you know playing on the confidence that you showed them. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I think you uh, you did them a solid in that one. Yeah, that was a great call. They're a solid team, and we uh, we couldn't talk you out of them. I mean, I I had them too. So did I? I must have, right? I think we all did, didn't we? Um, you know, Matt, I sort of feel like you're a Vanderbilt kind of guy. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you're right. Jay Cutler, he's like one of my favorite all-time players. I think most Vanderbilt guys go to New Year's Eve parties where they don't have TVs. <laughs> yeah, you had Vanderbilt in the Camping World Bowl. I feel like I was coerced into that. <laughs> I think you were. I was not expecting NC State to absolutely crush Vanderbilt, though. That was that was more than what I was expecting out of them. Who was the favorite? NC State was a three-and-a-half-point favorite, is that right? Sounds right. Now, if we want to talk about coercion, we tried to coerce Rich into 
picking Navy, and he did not. He picked Louisiana Tech State. State Tech. And Louisiana Tech State State Tech won outright. They didn't, they didn't even need that one and a half points. Didn't I go with them, with Louisiana yeah. State Tech? Yeah, you did, even though you agreed to go with Navy. And Navy won? No. Louisiana State Tech Bulldogs won by three. Yeah, I picked them. So how about those Gophers? <laughs> really stepping up. Big win against Washington State. Is that who they played? Who's the Washington State coach? Is that Mike Leach? It is Mike Leach. It's definitely Mike Leach because they were talking about how much they love Mike Leach on the broadcast uh, after you guys were texting about it. If any of us knew that Mike Leach was the coach of Washington State, would any of us have picked Minnesota? Well, in hindsight, I definitely should have picked Minnesota because they won by... (laughs) I would have been so much more likely to pick Washington State. Didn't we all pick Washington State? Yeah, of course. No, no, no. None of us picked Washington State. We all picked against the Gophers. That's That's true. That's very true. Boy, did they show us. Apparently, Washington State had to recall a bunch of socks that were made for them. Did you guys hear about this? No. No. It was really strange. I saw some article about how they manufactured all these socks, and on the inside it had, well, on the outside it had their logo, and then it also said, Go Dogs on it, which apparently is their... Uh, the phrase for the Washington team and not Washington State, so they had to recall all of those or something. Wait, so whoever made the socks like printed the like someone else's tagline on the inside of the socks? Yeah, I think it was Washington's. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely says "Go Dogs." D A W G S. Yep. We're gonna have to put that in the show notes for sure. It's definitely a reference to the Washington Huskies. So good job. <laughs> that's that's pretty <laughs> embarrassing. I'll say it is. Anything else on bowl games? I don't think so. No, still think Alabama is going to take it. I don't know. I'm I'm questioning it more. Uh, they definitely look like a better team, but Clemson, you know, especially after last year, it's a rematch. It is a rematch, right? It is, yeah. If they can get through Alabama's defense, I don't know if Alabama can score enough to stay with them. We're all in on Clemson, though, right? Like, I mean, everybody wants Clemson to win, right? Absolutely. Oh, I want Nick Saban to lose every game that he plays, but I picked Alabama. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'll, I'd pick, I think I did pick Alabama. I don't know if I'll go back and change it. Probably won't, but yeah, like like Bicka said, every single game I'm I'm rooting against Nick Saban. That's what I mean. It's like if if you have money on Alabama, that's fine, but everyone except for those people in Alabama are cheering against Alabama. Yeah, that's probably accurate. I don't know. I mean, I guess... Depending on what the spread is, I can be convinced. If Alabama played the plays the way that they did against Washington, I, I actually do think Clemson would have a shot, only because that offense that Clemson has is way more overpowering than Washington's. Yeah, that's for sure. I bet their quarterback's not as good a puncher, though. Okay, so 2016 wrapped up last night. Uh, I saw on The Ringer they put together their 28 favorite sports moments of 2016. I thought maybe that'd be a good topic for us to go through. So, Rich, let's start with your uh, one of your best topics, sports topics for 2016. Yeah, my number three would be Leicester City winning the Premier League as a 5,000-to-1 long shot. It's pretty impressive. How many Leicester City games did you watch last year? Maybe like three. I was literally just about to say, so... I've never watched a Leicester City game, but I'm a big fan. <laughs> Where in England is Leicester? London. 
Rich? Yeah, I have no idea. I, yeah, I don't either. No, no, I have no idea. Do you actually know the answer? So, so I barely know okay. where Chelsea is, and because we went to the Chelsea, who did they play? AC Milan? FC Milan? They played a Milan yeah. uh, at the U.S. Bank opening event. That was the first event there, right? Uh, because of that, and because of the nice flag that they gave us, I started following Chelsea this year, and Chelsea is probably, I mean, they're probably going to win. They're like the greatest football club of all time. They're like two games, they're like, they got 49 points, the next uh, next team has 43, and they're just running away with it. I've watched more Chelsea games this year than I've watched Premier League football games my entire life. So how's Leicester doing this year? Because they're actually, uh, they're, they're in the round of 16 for the Champions League. I saw that. That's, you know, I mean, they had a pretty soft pool, but I guess you get that when you win the Premier League. But how are they doing in the Premier League this season? Not great. They're ranked 15th, I believe. They've won five games, they've drawn five games, and they've lost nine games. Wow, that's really bad. Yeah, they have 20 points uh, as a team. Their goal differential is minus seven. Um, and they're, yeah, they're 29 points out of first place. Wow. That's not what I expected you to say. I thought, I figured they'd be like mediocre, not like terrible. Yeah. I mean, while the, the ninth team is six, six and seven. So they're, I mean, they're essentially 500 also they're minus three in differential and they only have four more points, which is a little better than a game in front of them. So, I mean, that would be mediocre. That's Bournemouth, Bournemouth, Bournemouth. I don't know what has changed on their roster because, again, I don't really follow it too closely. But to me, that kind of points out how impressive last year actually was for them. You know, they were a no-name team. They come back, they win the Premier League, and then this year they're, you know, I've, I couldn't even compare it to, like, maybe Carolina and the NFL not making the playoffs again or something like that. But it's pretty impressive to just outright win it as 5,001 shot. Yeah, so I was like, when this when this was happening, when does the Premier League end? Was it like it was like April or something, right? When this all this was going on, or is it later than that? Yeah, I don't know. It was sure. Well, you're the Premier League guy now with with your Chelsea. Well, yeah, but I haven't made it through a full season. <laughs> so when when this was the big story last year, uh, everybody's trying to like compare this to. You know, who would this be like? Is this like so-and-so making the Super Bowl or is this like whatever? But it's I think it's impossible to do that, to find any equivalent in, in like the American sports universe. The Premier League is nothing like anything that we have here, right? The budgets are extremely lopsided. You have no like minimum. I don't, they don't, they don't have a maximum. So you have like, like little city teams, you know, competing against like Man United. Uh, it's just like, I don't think you can find a parallel. Well, could it be like Middle Tennessee State beating Michigan State? Yeah, but it, but it's not. They're not just winning one game though. They're like for a whole season. You know, it's All like, right, so it'd be how like about, Middle Tennessee winning the national championship, or North Dakota State making the college football playoff. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it'd be something more like that because, and that's like a pretty good uh, analogy because. Like obviously the Premier League has this like really awesome system <laughs> which involves relegation and promotion between leagues. And you know, that makes something like Leicester even less likely. In two thousand nine they were two leagues below the Premier League. They didn't get promoted back to the Premier League until twenty fourteen, and two years later they won the whole thing. I mean it's just amazing. Like it really would be like North Dakota State 
they win the national championship, so then they get promoted to the BCS, and then they run the table the next year. Like it's just it's it's beyond something that we can comprehend with American sports. Well, I think you just comprehended it. Yeah, but not, yeah, but that's not possible though. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's not no, but that's that, that would be the analogy. You're right. It's not yeah, possible, yeah. but that's that's the analogy. So props to Leicester City, and uh, definitely worthy of uh, top sports moments for 2016. I guess, like, sticking on the topic, I think 2016 was just overall a great year for soccer. So that's my number three, is 2016 was a great year for soccer. So obviously, Leicester City, um, I thought the Olympics were fun to watch. Um, you know, maybe how Brazil won uh, wasn't the way that we want to see it, but uh, them winning gold for the first time in Rio uh, against Germany, who was, like, unstoppable up to that point, that was a great soccer moment, I thought. Yeah, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but uh, we're going to talk about this one again when we talk about the okay. worst. <laughs> okay. Um, also, you know, the Euros, um, I think the Euros are, I, I look forward to them every two years, or every four years, uh, opposite of the World Cup. Um, and this year, I thought they were especially fun. Maybe it's because I work from home and because uh, you didn't have a job, so you were telling us when to tune in every time that we needed to. <laughs> Iceland, baby. <laughs> Well, so the Euros had a number of like really fun things. Like Iceland's amazing run for sure. Uh, if you remember Wales and Belgium uh, running into the round of sixteen and Wales into the semis, um, so many good games, including obviously the championship game, which unfortunately Portugal won, uh, but it was a really fun game to watch um, and to see Portugal finally like get the monkey off their back. Uh, you know, it was something. Well, and we had, what was it, the Gold Cup? What was it? What's the one that we have? Yeah, the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Yeah, the Gold Cup and the Euros going on at the same time. That's almost better than the World Cup. That should be a thing. I would That'd be amazing. I would take work off. I would quit my job to watch soccer for a month. <laughs> you did, didn't you? Is that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, we called that. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, cheers to soccer in 2016. Uh, may uh, 2018 be just as good. Well, if we're talking about the World Cup and we're talking about Rio, then Katie Ledecky in the 800-meter freestyle just destroyed people. These are the best people in the world at what they're doing. She beat them. She was a full body length in front of them the first time down the pool. There was nobody on the same screen as her. She just destroyed people. I mean, like, okay, so I didn't watch the qualifiers again to really remember how dominant she was, but... 800 meters, that's back and forth across the pool eight times. And she just, she didn't hold anything back. It was amazing. Watching it again, it's just ridiculous how far out in front of the best athletes in the world she was. And she just made it look so easy. She stopped at the end. She turned around and looked. She waited about 10 minutes, and then the race was over. <laughs> she broke, broke the world record. She was, during the race, I thought she was going to break the eight-minute mark. And she finished it at 8.04. I think the next person finished a good 10 seconds behind her. It, I mean, it wasn't even close. How do you, how can you be so dominant in a sport? It's like Tiger Woods. It was very Tiger Woods. Yeah, that, that was, I mean, that was incredible. Like, like you said, the best, the best people in the world. And she just like completely dominated. And it was like clear from the outset. And it was just fun to watch her almost like coast to victory like almost an entire pool length ahead of everybody else. Yeah, and I think to your point, Brandon, the, the fact that it, she did make it seem so effortless. 
You could, you could see her competitors were actually struggling and really trying to push, and she was just smooth throughout the entire race. And then, like you mentioned, she was just kind of sitting there, watching everybody come in, taking taking it all in. She was done well in advance of everybody. It, it was impressive. Yeah, and Matt, you say she coasted to victory, but I mean, she broke the world record. She was in front of the world record pace the entire time. Like, she pushed the entire way. And I don't know if I had to swim 800 meters to save my life, I would drown. Yeah, I was actually going to ask: Have have either of you ever swum, swam, swim, eighteen, uh, uh eight hundred meters? I don't know if combined in my life I've swum eight hundred meters. I would agree with that statement as well. Yeah, I swam a sixteen hundred once, and it was uh, the worst moment of my life. Why? And, uh, you lose a bet. I was a lifeguard, so I took the situation uh, under control. <laughs> yeah. So Brandon, you kind of uh, mentioned Katie Ledecky rivaling. Tiger Woods, so I'll jump into my, my second one here. Uh, top three, and that would be the, the Ryder Cup, the 17-11 U.S. defeat, or victory, rather. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was fun for multiple reasons. One, you know, being a golfer myself, and then two, just the fact that it was just down the street from my place. So being able to go and kind of take that all in, uh, the U.S., having not won since 2008, finally kind of bringing it back to the u.s and then getting their third victory i think in the last 11 so yeah it was fun and just seeing the battle especially the the rory and patrick reed some of the golf shots that they're hitting are just unbelievable uh for the amount of pressure that those guys are facing to be able to hit those kind of clutch shots uh it's just it's remarkable so Matt, I know you were you were able to volunteer there and kind of get a, a sense of it too. So it was a pretty unbelievable atmosphere, I thought. Yeah, I just couldn't believe how uh, you know, kind of getting away from like the sport part of the event. I just could not believe how big of a production the whole thing was. Uh, so, so yeah, I volunteered. I was there the weekend before, um, pretty much right right when it opened up to the public, working in the the shop there, and like walking up from the parking lot, seeing how they transform that golf course into basically a city for that whole, that whole deal was just, it was unbelievable. And I don't think you get a sense for it on TV, but all the scaffolding and all the tents and everything that they set up, I mean, it's like, you have to see it to believe it. It's, it's like a city within the golf course that they built. It was incredible. I just have one question as an average golf fan, who the hell is Patrick Reed? He had an amazing weekend. Oh, he was, he was awesome. That was just amazing. I mean, to see the guys, put that much raw emotion into every shot and just go putt for putt drive for drive. And it was just, I mean, especially the front nine, it was amazing. You got finger wagging, you have fist pumps. That was just ridiculous. I mean, why don't they do this more? Like, I don't, I mean, obviously it's the country you get more behind a a national team like that, but I don't know if I care who the teams are. If you got everybody on the team wearing the same color shirt and you see a match like that, that'd be epic. I mean, they should be doing more things like this. I, I understand you can't have, you know, uh, United States versus Europe every year and have it still be special, but they got to find a way to incorporate more stuff like this into golf. Well, I, I just think the Ryder Cup in general, and, and this was one of mine as well, you know, the, the Ryder Cup being on my list, but I just think in general the Ryder Cup is just such an awesome format for a competition. Um, and specifically match play, but also the way that they have different types of match play within, like, within the tournament. Uh, but I, you know, I wish that the Olympics was some, somehow more like the Ryder cup. I mean, so the Olympics, uh, golf made its Olympic debut this year in Rio and 
it was just it was boring. I mean, it was just like any other tournament. They just happened to like give Justin Rose a gold medal at the end of it. I mean, obviously, like you said, you can't have the U.S. versus Europe in the Olympics, but you got to take some page out of, the, out of the Ryder Cup's book and maybe you just make it like a week-long match play tournament or something between all the players and they represent their countries or whatever, but there's just so much intensity. Like, every birdie is like a thunderous roar from the crowd. Every lip out is just like agony if, if it's your, you know, guy that's who's, who's lipping out. It's like the whole thing is just entertainment from start to finish. Yeah, and I think we can sweep this one because this was definitely my pick as well. And, yeah, the big problem with a, what is it, uh, like 10 or 11-person team is you, it's hard outside of the United States to have that. You could have that in maybe the United States, the United Kingdom. Uh, I don't know where else you can do that, but there's got to be a format where you can do something similar to this with three- and four-person teams, and you just have multiple teams out on the course at the same time. You know, I mean, you could easily do uh, a match play of – uh, you know, I guess it's a three-person team, and whoever wins by the most total across the three players moves on into the the next round. Yeah, I know they have been they were talking about that. I don't know if that'll actually happen, but it would be it would be nice to see in the Olympics. And then I know you know Brandon to one of your earlier points. They're trying to do more kind of competitions like this. I think you know outside of the Ryder Cup, they've got the Presidents Cup. Definitely doesn't get nearly the amount of publicity that. Uh, the Ryder Cup does, but you know it's still teams of about twelve guys. The U.S. playing the some international groups from Europe, but you know it just doesn't have that same atmosphere that the Ryder Cup does. So hopefully that'll change now with the uh, with the Ryder Cup kind of picking up the sport a little bit this past year. Where's the next one? Next one is in um, Paris. It's I in think. France. It's yeah. in France, right? Are you guys volunteering for that? I signed up to be a volunteer. I, I signed up as well. Yeah. um yeah just going back to the uh the patrick reed and and mcelroy match i mean uh, patrick reed for for his part and and mcelroy but uh i mean both those guys were just unbelievable and and patrick reed coming out of nowhere i mean the birdie that he made on or the the eagle that he made on saturday on uh six was i mean it was just incredible and i was on seven at the time and the roar from six was like unbelievable, and I had my my headset in listening to the radio what was going on, um, and then yeah the the front nine that those guys had, McElroy and, and Reed uh, on Sunday was just, I mean you could not have asked for a better back and forth between two guys. And how many times was it Dustin Johnson who had like four chances to clinch it and couldn't get it done? <laughs> Are you talking about the Masters or the Ryder Cup? <laughs> <laughs> Or the U.S. Open or the British Open. <laughs> well, in this case, I'm talking about the Ryder Cup. But, I mean, <laughs> when it comes down to it, once you win, it doesn't matter. But everybody else still finishing it out. That's a, that's a little boring. Let them walk it off. Just concede the rest of the matches, I think. Well, I, yeah, I disagree. I mean, I think that it's nice, like, as a gentleman's game. And especially for all the people like Rich who went out there on Sunday. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it is fun to watch those guys play. Um, and there is a pride factor where... You know, Henrik Stenson was amazing all week, and he doesn't want to get beat on the final day, even if his match doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny being being there. It was uh, it was tough to figure out where are you gonna go to watch. Like, do you just sit at one hole and watch everybody come through, or you know? So we sat at uh, 
think we were at hole number two for a while and we watched a few groups come in and then you know matt to one of your earlier comments just hearing roars across the course we knew what was going on with reed and mcelroy so we were like all right we're just going to follow them until this match is done and it was it was well worth it i mean we jumped back and we were kind of listening to on the radio to uh, some of the other matches but man to be able to watch some of that golf was was just ridiculous it really was so, uh, Rich, do you have like personal highlights of the Ryder Cup? I mean, because you were there. On, were you just there on Sunday, or were you there on Saturday too? Um, no, I was there. So I went on Wednesday for a practice round, and then uh, Thursday for the for the opening ceremony, and then I watched Friday, Saturday at home, and then went back out on Sunday. So, do you have personal highlights from from being there? Because like that, that's the cool thing too about the Ryder Cup is not only was it an amazing like worldwide sporting event. Um, and it would be on my list even if I wasn't there, but I just happened to be there for like a lot of the important moments of it and actually see some of them was, was pretty cool. So do you have like personal highlights of things that you saw there? Yeah. I mean, to me, honestly, I think the whole, the entire McElroy Reed match was some of the best golf that I've, I've ever witnessed, whether it was on TV or just being there in person was kind of a a nice, (laughs) nice bonus, but there's one moment in particular I think that kind of stands out. So there was a hole where Reed actually over overdrew one of his tee shots and ended up kind of in the woods. And um, my buddy and I, who were we were there, kind of following him, we ended up being right next to to the ball. So we happened to be in the tunnel where Reed had to just hit a ridiculous iron shot around trees. And just being up close and seeing him hit the ball and knowing that you know, just the slightest miss hit could uh mean we were taking a, a golf ball to the dome <laughs> was was pretty <laughs> crazy to see how many people trusted these guys and the level of accuracy that they have and of course you know he hit a great shot and put himself in position to get up and down and, and try and save par so yeah we were out there on uh i think it was friday uh yeah friday and uh we were just walking from kind of the the back corner of the golf course back to the front and uh we were walking on, on one of the paths and we just saw this ball land kind of in front of us. <laughs> and so we, we walked over and, and stood next to it. And, uh, I think it was Reed. I don't know who he was playing, but he was way off to the, to the right on one of the holes in the back nine. And, um, I, I remember standing over the ball and saying, like, cause I was like literally right over the ball. It was amazing. And I remember looking at it and saying, well, you know, if it were me, I'd try to go between those two trees. And like, of course, I wouldn't get anywhere near that. But that's that's what I'd said to to Brent, who I was with, and uh, and so Reed comes and his caddy, and they put everybody, you know, push everybody out of the way, and you know, a, a big crowd gathers or whatever, and it looks like he's just gonna lay up, and then he kind of like sees what I just saw. I mean, I'm sure he saw it before, like before this this point in time but he's like you know what like i'm going for it he had like a kevin costner moment and uh started yelling at people to like get out of the way and get out of the way and by god if he didn't hit it right between those two <laughs> trees i mean he was short and into the sand but it was it was just amazing to see up close um it's it just crazy so a, a couple other things for me i also saw um the heckler um i actually saw that happen live on hole number eight so the guy who was heckling from the crowd, uh, Henrik Stenson, you know, uh, missed this putt over and over and over again in practice. This guy says, I could hit that. <laughs> Justin Rose puts a $100 bill on the, uh, 
on the putting green, and the guy from rural North Dakota nails it from like 12 feet out. That was amazing. What I want to know is, he just had $100 in his wallet. What else? How much more? Like, was he walking around on the course in a practice round with like a couple thousand bucks in cash in his wallet? And why? <laughs> why didn't he leave his wallet in the locker room? That's a good question. Uh, I should have asked him when, when we were standing right next to him, but I <laughs> I didn't think of it until until you just said I that. i got to think if any of these guys are like Phil, they're probably betting out there with their buddies in some of these practice rounds. <laughs> yeah, but they're not they're not passing Benjamins around during the practice round. I mean, they're keeping a tally and just doing the difference at the end. I mean, come on, right? Like, yeah, sure. You got to I guess you got to have it to pay it, but you got to bring it with you. You know, I feel like he had that Benjamin in his pocket for that exact moment in case anything like that happened, whether it was with Rory McIlroy or Henrik Stenson or some random dude from the crowd. I just think that he was ready to show somebody up to miss a putt. And then when they nailed it, it made it even it made it even better. So it was staged. That is true. They had two other days of practice rounds, so they could have been prepared, ready to call somebody out. To be honest, um, my you know, my sec- my second personal highlight was just it was it was fun seeing Tiger and Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy just like an arm's length away from you a couple times throughout the week, um, especially like in practice when it was a little bit. I thought it would be a little bit more intimate, but to be honest, there was still 200,000 people on the course during practice and you couldn't see anything. But every once in a while, you just get like an out-of-bounds shot next to you or something like that. That that was cool. But um, Sunday was probably my favorite day, and uh, I enjoyed it from my couch at home, not anywhere near the course or the crowds. Uh, it was fun to be there, but man, did I enjoy Sunday not with all those people. Yeah, 200,000 people, 18 holes. I mean, that's over 10,000 people per hole. And that's obviously skewed a little bit, and they're all on 18. But that's a lot of I feel people. like a lot of them were with Reed and McElroy. <laughs> yeah, and it feels like 50,000 per hole. I mean, it is it is insane how, unless you just camp at a hole and find a good spot, like, you really can't see anything. And I'm, like, five foot three, so I'm kind of disadvantaged. But I, I didn't see anything the whole week unless I was... I was in a chair way before anybody else got there. Maybe that's why it was all right for me. I got the height, I got the height <laughs> advantage. <laughs> One other uh, really quick personal highlight, especially for all the other average golfers out there, seeing Brooks Kepka hit a hosel uh, in person, that was kind of refreshing. Yeah, made me feel a little bit better <laughs> about my golf game. And then he went to the next <laughs> tee and just hit a bomb. That reminded me how much better those guys are, but yeah. It's uh, so it's kind of nice to see sometimes the the pressure get to those guys a little bit too. Yeah, the other thing that uh, you know, I think gets forgotten in how epic the the Rory and and Patrick Reed match was, was you know, let's not forget about Phil and Sergio's yeah. uh, nineteen birdies on Sunday in their match. I mean, that was incredible. Yeah. Those guys went back and forth, and like. A fitting draw for that match. Uh, 19 birdies ag- across two guys in 18 holes is just, it's nuts. Uh, what was your number ones? I'd say the Cubs overcoming that 3-1 to one deficit. You know, breaking the 108-year curse and, and extra innings nonetheless in Game 7 was pretty amazing. Yeah, the Cubs uh, World Series, I mean, obviously that's something everybody's been looking forward to for a long time. It happened to be on my brother-in-law's 21st birthday. And seeing the Indians come back 
the rain delay, you just knew the Cubs were going to fall apart. And they didn't. And they finally won. And now everybody can start hating them. <laughs> yeah, I happened to be in Chicago for, for work at the time. And uh, it was pretty crazy out there. So um, the entire night was, was pretty loud. A lot of people out partying. But I guess after uh, waiting 108 years, kind of expect that to happen. But I think the only thing that would have made it better was if uh, they had won it in Chicago. But it was still still pretty impressive to see them come back from that 3-1 to one deficit. A lot of people had counted them out, uh, myself included. Didn't really think they were going to be able to come back from that. So. so now all three of us have been in Chicago for a Chicago team winning a major sports championship in a different city. Where were the Blackhawks when they won that? Boston. What year was that? That was, no. Yeah, they yeah, in yeah, Boston. Boston. So it was uh, 2013, was wasn't it? Yeah, that was the, yeah, 2013. That was the year that, that they scored like two goals. 17 seconds. 17 seconds apart in the third period. We were still celebrating the first goal at, uh, Pippins. at Pippins. <laughs> at Pippins. And they scored another goal, and we all just looked at each other like, that... <laughs> Like that, like there wasn't even a celebration right away. Everyone was like, "Did that really just happen?" And what there was less than a minute left in the game, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's still probably one of the greatest uh, sports moments for me being a Hawks fan. That was unbelievable. Well, is so is that moment greater, or is Patty Kane's overtime goal greater when nobody knew he scored except for him? Because that was pretty awesome. That was terrible. That was the worst goal in. <laughs> In playoff hockey ever. <laughs> to me, it probably, uh, I would say Patty Kane's goal is a little bit better, only because uh, I was more invested in that series. Just, I guess, from the standpoint that I went to game one in Chicago. So to have them win that series uh, made it a little bit more special. If they had gone to the cup or and, and lost and me going there, I think I would have, I don't know, that wouldn't have, that would have been, wouldn't have left a good taste for me, so... I'll never forget him, like, skating by the bench, like, throwing off his gloves, throwing his stick, and everybody being like, what are you doing? You look like an idiot. And then they're like, oh, wait, did he score? Oh, sweet. We just won the Stanley Cup. That was terrible. Because that was in, like, that was in like uh, triple overtime, right, against uh, Philadelphia? Yeah, I think so. Double, Double overtime, overtime, I think. Yeah. Man. Nothing like a 2016 sports show to relive <laughs> 20, 2011 and 2013 Blackhawks uh, sports moments. I hate the Blackhawks. <laughs> so I remember getting back to the Cubs. I remember texting Rich after the Cubs went down three to one, and just like totally giving up on the Cubs. Like uh, I think you said, Rich, like the rest of the world. And uh, you know they came back in Game Five and Six, and I mean Game Seven was like it was just incredible, right? Like it could not have been more fitting. So I wrote down some of the plays for Game Seven, uh, just to like. Because one of the cool things about this, like preparing for the show, is watching some of these videos and highlights of some of these things and just forgetting how it's like truly amazing some of these things were. So let's just go through game seven. And if I miss anything, let me know. Lead off home run for the Cubs. <laughs> right? I, didn't, I did not remember that until I watched the video. Uh, Cubs go up 2-0 on a play at the plate in the fourth, which was a sack fly, but a play at the plate uh, nonetheless. Uh, skipping ahead to the sixth, so quite a bit's happened since since then. But David Ross comes in and homers to make it six three in the top of the sixth. Uh, 
then uh, Chapman comes in, right? The unhittable Chapman, and nobody could nobody could talk enough about how it was impossible to hit Chapman and and how good he was that year. Uh, so he comes in to close it out in the eighth. Uh, single cuts the lead to two. Raja Davis hits this screamer, like, oopsie-daisy home run. He golfs it off the ground, uh, off the cameraman's forehead in left field to tie it. And at that point, like, everyone loses their shit, like, especially Cubs fans. Like, so let's go to the eighth inning. Uh, Rich, what were you thinking in the eighth inning? I know you're a Yankee fan, but still, like, you grew up in Chicago a little bit. So what was going on in your head in it's the eighth inning? It's happening again. And I just kept thinking to myself, why did they pull Hendricks? He was pitching so well. Why did they pull him? That's all I kept thinking. Yep. I was thinking, why the hell did they use Chapman so much in Game Six? <laughs> yep. Yep. So it was just like, like all of the, like the collective Cubs fans were just like, "Wow, this is about right." <laughs> and uh, so we make it to the tenth inning. On uh, the ninth inning was like kind of touch and go for a minute for the the Indians, uh, but they make it through. So we make it to the tenth. And then the tarp comes out, <laughs> right? And keep in mind too, this is like what was this exactly a week before the election? Does that ring a bell? I think it was. It was pretty close. So there was a lot of tweets. That, there was a lot of tweets at the moment about how like the two uh, like the two Armageddons were related. <laughs> and uh, so like really, the rain comes, the tarp comes over, and it's really like the universe will not allow either of these teams to win <laughs> the World Series. So Cubs work two runs in the top of the 11th. Uh, Davis again comes through in the bottom of the 11th, scores one run, and then the Cubs finally close it out with what was kind of a tricky play uh, to third base. Uh, nice play. And then Rizzo casually pockets the ball <laughs> in his back pocket before celebrating. So, I mean, Game 7 was it was awesome, and I'm so glad that I, I sat and watched the whole thing. And losing a 3-1 lead in the championship couldn't have happened to a better city. <laughs> Completely agree. I was pretty surprised to hear a lot of the players on the Cubs side saying that that rain delay actually helped them. So I was kind of worried. I thought for sure when that rain delay happened that that was going to favor Cleveland. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we're done with the Cubs? I'm done with the Cubs. They want to run the Cubs. don't care for them anymore. I do have to go back real quick. When we were talking about the Hawks, sorry to do this, but they won in 2010, not 2011. Yeah, but 2010. I think it was in single overtime, the more I'm thinking about it. but Yeah, it was. Was it single overtime? Yeah. Against Philadelphia? Yeah, it was against Philadelphia. They don't have any of these dramatics. They just do it all in game six, too. I thought it was at least double overtime, because I was in Muscatine, Iowa, at an Applebee's. Odds are pretty good that some of the other games were in double overtime. Oh, you know what? That was uh, the Flyers were ahead in that game, right? And yeah, it was right. It was overtime. Uh, looks like Chicago scored first. Philadelphia tied the game. Philadelphia took the lead. Chicago tied the game. Chicago took the lead. Philadelphia tied the game. Chicago scored in overtime. That was an awesome game. That really was. Six years yeah. later. <laughs> so was that also your number one, Matt? Uh, it's actually my number three, but yeah, I'm I'm out of topics now. Okay, so my final one, and really doesn't match the Ryder Cup or the Cubs winning the World Series for the first time in over 100 years. Uh, that national championship in college basketball, uh, the way that game ended, 
when UNC hit that three with seven seconds ago to tie the game, what was it 74, 74, something like that? I was sure they were going to win the game. There's no question in my mind. And with all the timeouts and all everything that happens in college basketball and all the delay, took 10 minutes. I felt great. Inbound the ball, get it up to the three-point line, and just do a casual pass to the guy that looks like he's never taken a three before, standing five feet behind the three-point line. He just hucks it up as time expires, and it goes in, and Villanova wins the national championship game as a semi-Tar Heel fan. That was just like a dagger, but that was one of the best college basketball games I think I've ever seen. That's just the epitome of March Madness with, you would have called UNC's shot a buzzer beater, even though there were seven seconds left when you remember it 10 years from now, and then they got buzzer beater. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Page for UNC had like a double clutch three-pointer to tie it. That was unbelievable. Yeah, he essentially was falling over, and he, he did it from a, quite a distance and under high-stress situation. I mean, it's an incredible shot. They deserve to win yeah. right there. All right, I guess that's it. I don't really have anything else to say about that. Uh, I was highly disappointed by that, but I never expected UNC to get that far last year. So what can you do? They got beat. They didn't lose. I mean, that was exciting, and that's what happens. Yeah, Villanova still ranked number one this year, so they got a good squad coming back. It doesn't mean anything, but maybe it lightens it a little bit for UNC fans. It doesn't for me. Nope. <laughs> All right, so let's get into our bottom, our bottom three, or four, or however many you got. And since we already talked about it a little bit, I'm going to bring up the Brazil national soccer team winning the Olympics in a shootout with that little bullshit move that they do, where they run up about halfway and then they stop and then they skip and then they do a 360 and then they kick the ball. And I think that's just, <laughs> to me, that's just terrible. Uh, it's just a huge advantage for the kicker. I don't like it. I don't like it. And I, they did it more than once, and I was annoyed by it. And then when Neymar did it for the last kick and scored, I was – I mean, I wasn't irate because, of course, Brazil is going to win in Brazil in the Olympics. But I don't know. How do they let them do that? If you did that in hockey, if you stop your momentum forward, they blow the whistle. Yeah, I think it was it was more annoying because the announcers were saying how they shouldn't be doing that, and it, like there's a rule, but it's not really a rule. It's just, but it is kind of a rule, but nobody calls it, and it's just. It, I agree. It was it was very annoying. So I don't know that there is actually a FIFA rule against it. Uh, I think there is a FIFA rule against what Brazil used to do, where they would run up to the ball and stop and like fake kick like four times. And then they would just, the goalie would no longer be in the net and they would just kick the ball straight in. I think they stopped them from doing that. But that little hop skip thing, like, come on, man, be an honorable soccer player. I know that's dumb and it's an unwritten rule, but like, you want to be the best soccer player in the world? Like, don't resort to tricks. Yeah, it seems weird that they wouldn't uh, try and level the, the playing field a bit for the, for the goalie in that case. You know, as soon as the player starts making a motion to the ball, let, it, let the goalie come off the line a little bit. And they made such a big deal about how the goalie had to be on the line for the whole approach this year. I mean, it was just, you know, you're really hampering the goalie. I mean, the goalie's at a huge disadvantage, I feel like, anyway. I agree. Uh, I mean, I like the little, I'm going to charge forward and do the little pop shot. Like, that's interesting. Like, that's a very legitimate approach to taking a penalty kick. But this little dance that they do, I don't know. It's the beautiful game. I get it. But 
to me, that is not beautiful. And so that makes my bottom three list for sure. I think my favorite quote from the Olympics was uh, that soccer is a gentleman's game played by hooligans and rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen. Uh, so sticking with the Olympics, I have an honorable mention uh, and probably pretty quick, but uh, Chadwick Close from Australia, the uh, swimmer slash boxer who got blown out of the pool by Phelps uh, about 10 minutes after boxing in front of Phelps, uh, leading to the famous Phelps face. Um, come on, man. That was an honorable mention, or that was your number three? No, that was just an honorable mention. I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, justify him making the list for that, but uh, definitely. I mean, you're messing with Michael Phelps. It's a bold strategy, right? Exactly. That, that's exactly right. So, what's your number three then? Um, well, I guess uh, sticking on the Olympic swimming <laughs> training. I guess I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of things to say about Olympic swimming tonight. Um, this might be my number one, but uh, Ryan Lochte. So I, I don't even really know how to start, but come on, man. Like you just complete an amazing Olympic career, right? People are maybe, maybe finally starting to forget some of the dumb shit you've done and said like over the past 12 years and just appreciate you for like the athlete that you are. Uh, and then you like do this thing. So you get drunk, you make a scene that's one thing, like, if you just vandalize a gas station, get arrested, pay a fine, people would have been like, yeah, well, it's just Ryan Lochte, like, whatever. But then, like, this story, right, making yourself the victim and trying to make yourself sound badass about it. I think that was the part that stuck out for me was, so let me, let me just read from this story, and I'll put this in the show notes. But, so, you know, we got pulled over in our taxi, and these guys came out with a badge, a police badge, no lights, no nothing, just a police badge. They pulled us over. They pulled out their guns. They told the other swimmers to get down on the ground, and they got down on the ground. And this is Lochte talking. So forced down on the ground were three other swimmers from Team USA who had been out celebrating with Lochte. Eventually, the men turned their guns to Lochte, and he says, and I quote, I refused. I was like, we didn't do anything wrong, so I'm not getting on the ground. The guy pulled out his gun. He cocked it, put it to my forehead, and said, get down. I was like, put my hands up, and I was like, whatever. He took our money. He took our wallet. So, like, the thing that really bothers me about this is that he's, the, like, the whole, like, I got the gun in my face, and it's just not a big deal. I'm just like, whatever, man. And, of course, like, it never happened. So I was just embarrassed, like, to be an American when the truth started coming out. And just, like, like what an asshat. Hearing that story, I the only reaction I have is facepalm. Like, you know... I don't even care. Like, Ryan Lochte, who the fuck are you? Who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, it was a much bigger story than it should have been, and I I still just don't care. Yeah, to me, I mean, that was that made my number number three and worst as well. But, I don't know. To me, it just kind of solidified who we thought, I guess, most people thought Ryan Lochte was. Even though you know, he might have been trying to change his image, he was just still saying and doing so many dumb things that, when this came out, it was kind of like, yeah, that seems about right. I mean, I'm not too surprised that he would have done something like this, I guess. So, uh, by the way, when I was researching this today, uh, fun trivia fact. <laughs> so, you guys all saw the, like, the video on the beach 
where he's giving this interview where he's like saying how cool he is for like not being scared of a gun, right? Do you know who uh, was doing that interview? Do you know who he was doing that interview with? Billy Bush. <laughs> Seriously, that Billy Bush. That was the guy who was doing the interview. I'm not kidding. I believe you. <laughs> I, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was reading the quote, and it says, uh, you know, something, something, something says Bush. And I was like, wait, hold on a second. And then I watched the thing. And sure enough, yep, it's Billy Bush. So uh, what else you got, uh, Brandon? So for me, I thought this one was just stupid all around. Uh, Adam LaRoche retired during spring training this year because the White Sox team president told him that he wasn't allowed to bring his son to work every day. Leave him in the clubhouse. Like, I get it. If you want to retire because you want to spend more time with your kid, like, great. More power to you. But the amount of drama that was introduced into this, and yeah, we're going to talk about Chicago again for the seventh time this podcast, but he retired because he couldn't bring his, I don't know how old he was, 13, you know, he was a younger kid, not allowed to bring him to work every single day. And so he took his ball and went home. Like, I don't know who's stupider. Like, he's made enough money in his life that he can do whatever he wants. But he gave up $13 million and retired because Kenny Williams told him, you know, we don't want you to bring your son to work every single day. I think that's ridiculous. I mean, I thought the whole thing was ridiculous. I think Kenny Williams handled it terribly. I thought Chris Sale really actually looked the worst in all this. Making such a, like, threatening to boycott a preseason game. Over this, like, yeah, sure. I think Kenny Williams probably is a shitty uh, GM and president of players and or president of baseball operations or whatever. But yeah, and he probably should be fired because White Sox are not good. But to add something like this, like, why do you need to do that? Yeah, uh, that whole situation was pretty, pretty strange. I thought I was trying to figure out if it was actually the real reason why he just decided to kind of pack it in, or if he was thinking he was kind of starting to decline a little bit because he had been in the league. I mean, how long had he been in the league? You know, 10, 11 years, something like that. Well, yeah. I mean, he was batting 207, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there were certainly other reasons. And if you, you know, you love hanging out with your son, you think that's a great benefit of being able to do what you do. And suddenly you can't do it anymore. Like, sure. I can understand that. But the way that it got blown out of proportion and the way the media took it up and, the way the rest of the team took it was just, uh, for me, like, if you're grown men playing a kid's game and you want to say, like, this is a business, like, act like it. Yeah, I agree. That was that was pretty pretty crazy the way they handled that. Yeah, so in his career, just real-time follow-up, uh, Adam LaRoche, he's 37 years old. He has 12 years of experience. Started with the Braves, went to the Pirates, played a year in Arizona. Uh, not sure what that logo is. Very small. Uh, he made $73 million. You know, like, sure, he has enough money. He can go home. Fine. Like, you can also just say, I'm retiring because I want to spend more time with my family. Be the bigger man. How much money did he walk away from? Like, 10? It was 13 million for 2016. Wow. But he would have had to be on the White Sox. That's Maybe true. That was it. Like, that's good yeah. enough, too. That is very true. That's all I got. I don't know. It's a tiny range. Yeah. What do you got, Rich? Anything uh, Anything bother you about uh, sports in 2016? Well, a lot, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to narrow it down to a couple. I think kind of going back to soccer, I think the U.S. 
women's team at the Olympics losing in the quarterfinals to to Sweden was pretty pretty bad in itself but then just the way it was handled by uh I guess Hope Solo in particular calling the Sweden team a bunch of cowards for executing their game plan and winning uh was was pretty absurd but uh you know I think she got banned for 6 months following that and then the nas- her national contract got terminated so kind of fitting but uh I don't know I think she was kind of on the on her way out anyway but pretty pretty uh classless way to handle it yeah has hope solo been anything but classless in like the last 8 years of her career with US women's soccer i mean she's been a great goaltender don't get me wrong but she's no tim howard like, <laughs> <laughs> I I just I don't think she has a lot of friends like on or off the team in in US soccer. Yeah, I agree. I know she had some kind of off the field issues, but still continue to kind of represent Team USA and then to to come out and make comments like that. It's just uh it's it's strange how some of those athletes, you know, Hope Solo, Ryan Lockey, they make uh make comments and they're out there representing the country. Not sure what uh, what thought process, if any, is going into some of the things that they're they're doing and saying. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just gotta like own the disappointment for like not performing on a grand stage, right? Like, uh, cue back to the uh, men's hockey team in the last Winter Olympics. Like, Parisi, the, he just owned it. He's just like, yeah, like we didn't play very well. Yeah, like we kind of we kind of sucked, and the fact that we didn't get a medal. That's not acceptable, and it's not good, but like we'll try harder next time. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Aren't they considering getting rid of professional hockey players from the Olympics? I'm not sure. I think uh, I thought I maybe heard that professional hockey players were considering not going to the Olympics because now they have this World Cup of Hockey thing, which is stupid and, and everything else, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I heard something about the – Players union was no longer willing to pay the insurance or something for the players going to the Olympics, so that was gonna maybe get in the way of them playing in the next Olympics. And that might be interesting. Name one player who's ever gotten hurt in the Olympics that matters. Well, it's not just about the Olympics. I mean you want to talk about exhibition games, uh how about like what's going on in the the bowl games right now? The players are sitting out for the draft. John Tavares was the answer. Yeah, well, uh, that's a good point. Uh, I'm thinking. I like literally. Like, I literally put that on a platter for you. Well, I'm thinking about Christian McCaffrey sitting out, Leonard Fournette sitting out because they're worried about getting hurt, and everybody's getting on them. And then this tight end from Michigan, who's expected to be one of the premier tight ends in the draft, goes and plays in a meaningless game and tears his ACL. What does that do to him? That's all the Bulls are: glorified expedition games, exhibition games, expedition games, exhibition games. <laughs> uh <laughs> so i don't know where we're at number ones did we go through um, those i i got uh well uh, we're kind of jumping all uh, over but i got i got one left how many do you guys got left i, I got, got one. one maybe a, one or two honorable last. mentions all right what are your honorable mentions rich tim tebow playing baseball for the mets and scene <laughs> i mean tim tebow is playing for the mets then the fall arizona doesn't fall, matter right? still playing He's representing the, the mets I guess it's kind of fitting. I mean, the only thing that would be better is the Padres. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so there's that one. Just because I wanted to mention Tim Tebow is now playing baseball, which I find funny. 
Hey, actually, I think uh, just mentioning Tim Tebow on this podcast would probably increase our ratings and not be worth it. <laughs> and then uh, last one is just Ronda Rousey taking a year off from fighting and then coming back and losing in 48 seconds. So I was watching that fight. It's pretty evident right off the bat that she wasn't going to be able to to beat Amanda Nunez, and she was catching some pretty pretty heavy fists getting thrown at her. So it's uh Unfortunate to see that happen to her. So from the Department of Inappropriate Journalism, uh, the headline on ESPN, Rousey Battered. Ooh. When do you hear the word battered used? You only hear it in one way, and it only ever refers to women, and it refers to domestic violence. Why would you put that as the headline? And it's usually something to do with an NFL player. Rousey Battered, you pick a woman getting her ass kicked by another woman. I mean, you would never see ESPN report a man who got his ass kicked by Conor McGregor being battered. Yeah, it's very true. That's absolutely ridiculous. I think that's completely inappropriate. I mean, there's a huge connotation to the word. I understand that it has a actual dictionary definition, but in today's sports world, battered has a meaning, and it definitely should not have been used here. And I think the last time I checked, it was still off on ESPN, and I just don't understand how that got through, how nobody questioned it and said, uh, you can't come up with another word you could use. Yeah, I hadn't seen that, but uh, totally agree. Bad, bad choice of words, and it's kind of crazy that they haven't uh, like gotten enough feedback yet where they've taken it down. I'm gonna see if I can get a screenshot if it's still up. I mean, it, this happened last night at this point, and if it's still up now, that that'd just be ridiculous. Yeah, I don't see it anymore. Maybe the Wayback Machine will have it. Close out your uh, close out your list, Rich. What else you got? Uh, so yeah, my final one is is uh, going back to golf here. Jordan Spieth at the Masters. So he had a pretty pretty brutal collapse to watch. So he's going for back to back jackets. He lost a five shot lead. So he bogeyed ten and eleven, and then he gets to twelve, which is uh, Ray's Creek. Hits it into the water. Chunks uh, about a fifty to sixty yard wedge shot. Eventually, cards a, a quad uh, seven. And then just to kind of put it in perspective, so in a matter of 45 minutes, he went from having a five-shot lead to a three-shot deficit. Wow. Which is just crazy. And then, you know, probably, you know, to his credit, not that he really had a choice, but, you know, he won the previous year, so he has to come back out at the end of this and present the eventual winner, Danny Willett, with, with the green jacket. So pretty tough to do and not not a fun one to watch for him after having such a, an amazing year. All right, so uh, my final one, uh, and I, I don't want to open too big a vein here because I know we talked about this uh, privately before, but um, targeting penalties in college football. So I guess... Ultimately, I just think they need to do something to change this rule uh, in 2017. Uh, I mean, I'm all for like per- player safety, especially in college football. We're not talking about pros here, like going out and getting paid millions. Like these are these are still kids, right? But they're still. I just think they've gone too far. You're throwing these kids out of games, sometimes due to just like incidental contact or contact that really couldn't have been avoided by anybody. Uh, I'm a big fan of the review that they do where they actually like do the replay and they, they check it out and they take a second look at it. But 
God, they just they uphold some of these that I don't think anybody <laughs> that's sitting at home is watching this going, well, that's he definitely targeted the head. You know, it's like it's clear to me that there's no intent on a lot of these. There's no intent to target. Um, so I'm just hoping they can make some change to to put more weight on the intent of the play because I think you can look at it and things happen so fast that like when someone ducks to avoid a hit, you're already committed to like diving to a tackle. If you just happen to hit their head, you're not targeting their head. You shouldn't be thrown out of the game. Maybe you get like a 15-yard penalty. I'm okay with that, but like let's take an honest look at the intent before we throw these kids out of these games. Yeah, so I think this was evident in the first weekend of the year. Uh, there are players getting kicked out of every game, and basically automatic ejection. Just it's crazy. Targeting has this connotation of, like you're saying, intent and it being purposeful. And some of the speeds that these guys are going at, it's impossible. And I think that there just needs to be some leeway for the refs to not automatically throw somebody out of the game. I mean, you could have a personal foul. Like something can be, you know, bad without an ejection. Uh, and I mean, the ejection, I like the ejection. I like that it's there. I like it for targeting, but I just don't think that these things are all targeting. I don't think that there is purpose. I don't think they're going after the guy's head. Some of them, sure. And there can be some borderline ones and I'm fine with that too. But anytime they call it, I think they feel compelled to throw these kids out of the game. And I mean, most of these guys are just kids. I mean, what you're throwing them out of the game in a bowl game. Uh, they only get to play so many, uh, and they're not doing anything that isn't happening all over the place. It just happens to be when you throw the flag, you see ha- things happen all the time, and you're like, that looked like targeting, and there's not even a penalty. Yeah, to me, there's like illegal hits at the head, 15 yards, okay. But then targeting, like you said, like the name itself implies that you are intending to hit this person in the head. And there are some of those, but in general, it's just, uh, it's, it's overcalled and it's annoying. And I hate to see the best player on a defensive, you know, unit like escorted off the field in the first quarter because something happened really fast and he happened to take somebody's head off. Yeah, what was the was that uh, the Clemson game last night that we were talking about a little bit where there was a a punt? I sent you guys a message. There was a punt and a guy was a it was a bang bang play. He goes and he makes a hit on the on the punt returner and his was. To me, it seemed like incidental contact, you know, helmet to helmet, but they tossed him for a targeting call. Yeah, that's, I mean, I know you're you're going to be putting a lot on the refs if you take the absolute out of it, but there's got to be a rule change. I don't know what it is. I'm not in the room with these guys who are talking about this, but you can't just throw players out of every game. You want to talk about it in the NFL, you don't know what a catch is. In college football, I don't know when a player should be allowed to play and when they shouldn't, because I see a lot of things that look incidental and players are getting ejected. And that seems way over the top to me. Yeah. I mean, that play last night that I was referring to, to me, that's something, you know, I don't want them to review every single play. Cause I feel like that's what the game would eventually turn into. But when it comes to a matter of throwing somebody out for targeting, it seems like that, that warrants a review whether it be, you know, a minute or two, whatever, but at least reviewing it to see if it actually was a targeting or if it was just incidental contact. Yeah, I mean, you see plays where it looks like targeting. Yeah. You know, like, even if they're not trying to hit the guy in the head, they're like, okay, this guy's going to be coming down, and I am just going to hit him as hard as I can, and I don't care what happens. I feel like if you showed me a compilation of all the 
kids that got ejected this year for targeting penalties, I would feel at least like 60% of them weren't targeting, in my opinion. I honestly have a bigger problem with, so like a running back or a receiver is running with the ball, and someone's tackling them, and they start to fall down, and then safety guy comes in and gives him a huge shot right in the back as he's already clearly going down. I have a much bigger problem with that, and that's never called as unnecessary roughness or anything like that, than a lot of these plays where the guy's just diving to make a tackle, the guy with the ball ducks down to try to get underneath the guy, and they just happen to like hit a shoulder or a helmet-to-helmet uh, in the head. Well, and they make all these rules to limit the defensive players from doing things. Maybe you should you know, find a way to limit the offense from running plays that put the receivers in a position where they're about to get destroyed. Like, yeah, I don't know, you can't give the quarterback a penalty for throwing a ball over the middle, but, you know, it, you can teach it out of them. There's got to be something you can do there. If you're truly worried about player safety, you have to look at it from all aspects. And if you're just doing it to the defense, then I don't think you truly care about player safety. So going off script just a little bit, uh, speaking of ejections, um, I, I still really hate this whole like unsportsmanlike conduct NFL penalty thing. So in the NFL, if you dance too much twice, you get thrown out of the game. But if you slam Cam Newton's head into the field 10 times, you only have 150 yards of penalties, and you can stay in the game for as long as you want. I hate that. Yeah, I agree. I think that's ridiculous. So, okay, I'm, I'm done with talking about uh, ejections in, in football games. All right. Well, you said you didn't want to open a vein on your last one. I definitely want to open a vein on this one. So, if I told you before the start of the NFL season that the Vikings traded a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick in the next draft, and they got the first pick overall, how'd you feel? What if I told you that they traded for Sam Bradford, and they traded a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick, and you got Sam Bradford? That's got to be one of the worst trades I've ever seen. One of the best examples of a GM not knowing what his team was going into the season and sacrificing the future, and all you get is Sam Bradford and an 8-8 eight eight team? Yeah, they, they won five games in a row to start the season. They should not have. I think that was ridiculous. I think that he put his team at a huge disadvantage for the next five years, and they got Sam Bradford. Like, what are the odds that he even stayed healthy for the whole season? Well, he did. What were the odds? <laughs> How many full seasons has he played? Yeah, well, not very many, One. that's for sure. One. It was his rookie year. He played 16 games. Oh, no. He played two. Two full seasons. Every other season, he missed a significant period of time as a starting quarterback. But he, he was pretty good this year. Like, the, the the Vikings' problems were not, and I don't think you're saying this, but the Vikings' problems were not Sam Bradford. No, but Sam Bradford being a decent quarterback was never enough to get the Vikings over their problems to give up a first and a fourth round pick for. He turned the ball over 13 times. And yeah, you could blame a lot of that on the offensive line, but you have to know, and yes, they, I know they had a lot of injuries on the offensive line, you have to know going into the season that there's probably nothing you can do. Once you lose your starting quarterback and you have a 72-year-old running back, there's probably not a lot you can do. You're only going to go as far as the defense can take you. And sure, you need a quarterback who's not going to turn the ball over to allow the defense to do what they can do, but you can game manage Sean Hill. Did he? he so he had... Uh... He only had four interceptions, right? Four interceptions and nine fumbles. He had nine fumbles, huh? Wow. Nine lost fumbles? Nine fumbles. 
I don't think he turned the ball over for 13 times. It seems too well, high. Yeah, maybe you're right. I see nine fumbles as a passing stat. I don't know if they were all turnovers. Okay. It's total fumbles. That, and that's bad snaps. And that's bad handoffs. Yeah, like, it's, But in fairness to Sam Bradford, so I'm going to take the Sam Bradford side on this argument. Um, he had, statistically, the best season of his career this year, and it still wasn't enough. Right? Like he he was he was actually pretty good this year. He was decent this year. There are a lot of quarterbacks who are worse than him this year. But he threw seventeen touchdown passes in fourteen games. Like, if you're gonna champion that as being like a great season, then maybe you deserve what you got. Well, no, I mean I I think the offense was mostly inept after the first five games before the 16th game <laughs> um and, and really the 16th game most of those 38 points were off of uh the 12 turnovers that that the bears uh committed but i don't know i guess um so so think think ahead to like next year i hear a lot of people saying that bradford for sure like teddy should be gone i'm not so sure about that i, I still really like teddy as a quarterback if he can come back healthy with with healthy legs, especially if we have a depleted offensive line. I think Teddy makes a lot of plays that Bradford can't in the pocket. Yeah, to me, I mean, Bradford is a Bradford is a pocket passer, which with this O-line doesn't help him. But, you know, Matt, to your point, Bridgewater's got wheels. Well, he had them before his injury. Assuming he comes back and is at full strength, he'll be able to kind of make some plays. But, you know, to me, that trade wasn't – they gave up a lot, but they got something in return – but they still had a huge hole within that offensive line, kind of pun intended there, because they're really bad. And until they fix that, it doesn't matter who they have at quarterback. It's not going to make any difference. They're not going to be a successful team. And you saw that. You know, The injuries obviously started to kind of add on for them later in the year, but they weren't strong on the O-line, and that killed them. But honestly, did they know, like, like our our O line was supposed to be a lot better than it was last year, and we had a lot of injuries. So, I don't know if it's fair to like say that the offensive line was going to be terrible from day one. I mean, we had a lot of like adversity at, adver- <laughs> adversity on the offensive line throughout the season that led to a lot of the problems that they had. I don't think it was going to be perfect, but I don't think anybody would have seen that we would have started eight different combinations in 16 games on offensive line. Well, no, of course not, but w- that wasn't the only problem. I mean, sure, that was a big problem for Sam Bradford. The Vikings had a lot of other problems. I mean, the second Adrian Peterson went down, they're starting Matt Asiata and Jarek McKinnon. I mean, they did not have the depth to trade that kind of value. And just to follow up real quick, Sam Bradford, 3,600 yards this year, uh, 23 more yards than Blake Bortles. Fewer touchdowns than Blake Bortles. Yeah, he threw way fewer interceptions, but, I mean, he was ranked 17th amongst NFL starting quarterbacks in yards. And sure, yeah, he had a better completion percentage, but when you throw the ball, I watched a series of plays where his average yards beyond the line of scrimmage on passing plays was negative one. <laughs> I think they're making. I think they're making way too big of a deal out of the completion percentage thing, especially... And th- this, I guess this could have been on my worst list. Uh, Sam Bradford throws so many 
third down plays behind the first down line. It drives me absolutely nuts. But they're they're completions. So that that gets him above Drew Brees in the completion percentage, but it doesn't do anything to help our team get uh, past the first down marker on third down. Yeah, Drew Brees had 1,300 more yards passing than him. How many? 1,300. Oh, yeah, I thought you said – I heard 300, and I was like, that doesn't sound like nearly enough. 1,300 no, sounds no. more right. Uh, and, I mean, so let's talk a little bit about next year. I mean, yeah, Teddy, he might not be even healthy to start next year, but Sam Bradford – is uh, $13 million in base salary and a $4 million roster bonus. Like, look around the rest of the team. Adrian Peterson's not coming back. Why do you pay Sam Bradford? And even if you bring, you know, even if you bring him back, like, Teddy's probably not the answer either. I think we can safely say everybody likes Teddy. Teddy could be a decent quarterback. He's not going to be the answer. He's not going to be a top QB in the league. You got to draft another quarterback. But you can't with a first or fourth round pick. The Eagles traded the world to get the second pick so they could draft Carson once. They didn't want Sam Bradford playing. And somehow they got a first and fourth round pick from the Vikings for him. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting team. Because even looking at the, those first five games, the offense, they didn't really have any games where they kind of went off. A lot of it was defensive touchdowns or special teams. So after those first five most- games, that defense kind of fell off a little bit too. I mean... It fell off a lot. They were amazing the first yeah. five games. How did they... The Vikings defense beat Tennessee. Yeah, they're still one of the best defenses in the league statistically, right? Like, well, if you if you take out the first five weeks, where do they compare over the remaining twelve weeks of the rest of the league? That I don't know the answer to. I'd be curious. Yeah, that's fair. Because I mean, the first five weeks, if they would have played that pace for the whole season, we'd been talking about them being one of the best defenses in NFL history. Yeah, absolutely. They were like the Alabama of defense. <laughs> How many coaches are, how many vacancies are there going to be in the NFL? There's going to be a lot. I mean, Buffalo probably counts. Unfortunately, the Jets don't count. San Francisco, Denver, San Diego. Yeah, Denver, Kubiak's retiring because of health issues. Um, It sounds like, well, Jeff Fisher finally got fired. Uh, New Orleans doesn't seem to want to keep Sean Payton. Really? Yeah, like they're going to trade him. Huh. Um, Did you mention Chip Kelly already? I feel like, yeah, I mentioned Chip Kelly. That's six. I feel like there are a couple more. Um, Off the top of my head, can't think of who they are, though. Uh, Gus Bradley, did you say that? Oh, yeah, Jacksonville. God, San Francisco, what a nightmare. Three coaches in three years? That's just insane. Yeah, I don't know what's good. And how do you get somebody in there? And remember... When you have that kind of track record. Remember, they were in the Super Bowl, like, what, four years ago? Five years yeah, ago? Yeah, but they didn't like their coach, so they got rid of him. Oh, my God. And uh, then he uh, soiled his trousers. Messed his khakis. <laughs> his khakis. His, tra- his khakis, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, he is kind of an asshole, but like they were in the Super Bowl. What did we determine? It was four or five years ago against the Ravens, right? Because it was uh, all Harbaugh Super Bowl. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, something like that. Oh my God. Okay, here, here. I'm gonna read you the list. Um, Chargers fire Mike McCoy. That's one. Forty ers fire Chip Kelly and the GM who had a 
announced during the game on a radio show that he had been fired. Yeah. And then they almost won. Uh, Broncos, Gary Kubiak, Rams, Jeff Fisher, Jaguars, Gus Bradley, Bills fire Rex Ryan. I guess that's it, but they don't include like the Saints in there. And I, I thought there were more. There are certainly more who should go. Like Todd Bowles. I'd be on board. There's nobody to hire, though, so there's no point. But what did he do this year? Just terrible. How did they? And then they win today, 30 to 10. Like, thanks a lot. Ready to have uh, Fox leave, too. Chicago. Kind of done with him. Yeah. Hey, how about that play Anthony Barr made today? I didn't think that that was legal. Did you guys see that? I didn't see it. So, uh, one of the one of the defensive linemen uh, made a Matt Barkley fumble for like the umpteenth time, and a Chicago guy like dives like goes to like dive on the ball, and uh, Anthony Barr just like reaches around him and taps the ball like through him but forward, and it rolls like ten yards forward, and Linval Joseph scoops it up and scores. So it was like a forward pass, but he like batted it on the ground. And at the time, I was like, well, he can't do that, can he? Uh, but then clearly he could. And then I was like, that might be one of the best plays all, all season. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if that's something that I saw live, I would definitely question yeah. it. But it was, it was, I mean, it was a great play, I guess, if it's legal. But yeah, he just, I mean, he just tried, he was just trying to swat it away from the guy, but he happened to swat it like 10 yards forward. Huh. I feel like I've seen that before and. Definitely called it out as being bullshit, but I guess it's not. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, real-time follow-up in the post-show, I put in some screenshots. ESPN definitely still has two things where it says, Rousey battered. You think Calvin Johnson is pissed that he retired and now Detroit made the playoffs? Uh, no, not really. Can you imagine how much better that team would be with him? No, I don't. You, I they, think they're better because they be? he's not there. Yeah, really. I think so too. I think the fact I they mean, actually have to game plan makes a big difference. Yeah, agree. It, it's not it, he's not the problem. The coaches yeah. relying on him are the problem. Well, yeah, you don't know. He very well could have been the problem. That's why they were doing it. No, I just mean like his talent. Well, yeah, isn't the problem. I mean, let's I just think, see. So I just think uh, they had bad coaches. He actually made a lot of money this year. Who? <laughs> <laughs> He made $114 million in his career. I don't think he's upset about much. He's probably extended his life a few years. Um, yeah, this year he made uh, $13 million in just deferred money. So Jesus. Yeah, no, I don't really feel bad for him. Did you see how much money? <laughs> Go ahead. Did you see how much China offered Ronaldo? Yeah. Per year? No. They offered him $200 million a year. Oh, my goodness. To go play there. Is I that think right? it was 100 because the total was 300 mil or something like that. Oh, yeah. It was a 300 – you're right. It was a 100 million salary, and then it was a 300 million to the to club to let him go. It was a transfer fee. They were buying him for $300 million. Wow. You think they have some money in China? I'm not going to say what I was going to say because you'd have to ring the bell. Uh, <laughs> do you guys know how much money uh, Kirk Cousins makes this year? Uh, $18 million. 
19 million dollars yeah uh and next year you'd have to make um yeah 19 million times 1.2 or yeah it's whatever the average of the top three salaries are yeah he's franchised and they they might franchise him again i wanted the redskins to win so bad today just to stick it to daniel snyder they gotta sign him i mean in the long run it's gonna be cheaper unless they really don't believe in him they're gonna like if you get rid of Pierre Garcon, Deshaun Jackson, possibly Jordan Reed because of concussions, and they're likely to get rid of at least two of those guys, if not all three, and then you say, Oh yeah, Kirk Cousins, prove it and you give him twenty two million dollars next year and he can't do it. Like that's kinda of bullshit. I mean, I know he made forty million dollars in two years and no tears coming from this direction, but that's kinda of bullshit. I just can't believe that I mean he he's decent. But he's worth um, at least a first worth, and a fourth. He's not worth. <laughs> he's not worth. He's not worth a franchise tag. He's not worth nineteen and twenty-four million dollars. He might be. Why not? I mean, look. So he he started the season poorly, but they were <laughs> very close to making the playoffs. What is making the playoffs worth to you? And how many quarterbacks in the league are worth a franchise tag? There are not thirty-two starting caliber quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Kirk Cousins is not a top four quarterback. Is he a top six? Uh, I'd give him top 10. I'm not going to go through the list. Well, we are yeah. going to go through the list. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that. There's no, I mean, like you have to look at the list and really slot him in. <clears throat> like you're right. Um, Probably by the way the franchise tag is. What is it? Um, 1.2 times the top three salaries at that position or something? Something, something ridiculous like that. like that? If you look at... You have to sort of look at your alternatives, too. Like, who you're going to get to replace them. If there aren't even 32 NFL-caliber quarterbacks in the league, you're going to end up with Matt Barkley. Okay, so Carson Palmer or Kirk Cousins? That's not even a question. Kirk Cousins. Kirk yeah. Cousins. I think he's probably top eight, but we'll find out here. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. In an outdoor stadium. Or Kirk Cousins. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan. Okay, how about this? <laughs> if you put uh, Kirk Cousins in uh, Atlanta with the talent that they have. They're the same quarterback. Matt Ryan. Well, that's sort of my point is it's a toss-up. It's at least a toss-up to me. Yeah. But if I, I guess if I had to, if I was forced to pick yeah. one, I'm picking Matt Ryan, but not by much. I would pick Matt Ryan too, but how much of that is just name and how much of that is Julio? Julio! That was such an amazing catch he made today. Joe Flacco or Kirk Cousins? Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins for sure. EJ Manuel, Tyrod Taylor. Who? Or uh, Cardell Jones. Yep. Next. <laughs> Cam Newton. Yeah, it's it Cam is. Newton, right? Yeah, Cam Newton. So that's the first clear-cut one? Like, not even a question? I hesitated for a brief moment, only how, just based on their season this year. But yeah, it's Cam Newton. Yeah, but, uh, okay, yeah. We have to assume that's yeah. an aberration. So, uh, <laughs> starting quarterback of the Bears or Kirk Cousins? Anybody but the Bears quarterback. <laughs> Matt Barkley? <laughs> <laughs> Matt Barkley might be good next year. I honestly was pretty surprised. He you know, played fairly 
decently when he was in the last couple games. Not great, but... Wait, hold on. Time out. I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to pick apart what you just said, but he had 13 turnovers in the last three games. Yeah, that's how... He's been sitting on the bench for several years. That's how bad the Bears are, number one. Two. He, no, he he had 13 turnovers. Yeah. Not not the Bears, him. So, I actually... Listen, we're just saying was, he's better than we expected yeah. him to be. And given a full offseason and maybe some preseason games, like I think he could be better than people expect. I'm not saying he's going to yeah, be good. He, here's what I'll say. I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I just wanted to make the point that he made 13 turnovers in three games. But I watched most of the game today, or at least the second half, and I was thinking... You know, he doesn't look terrible. And then you look at his box score, and he has, like, five turnovers, and it's like, oh. Well, okay, well, yeah. Except for that. Sure, but a lot of that is he could be chalked up to a number of things that aren't necessarily him. That's true. And, he, he did pass the eye test. And they very well could that. be his fault, but I'm just saying, like, let's see. Like, let's reasonably see. I'd be interested in seeing him over bringing back. I was just about to say I'd rather but, have, as crazy as this sounds, I'd rather have Barkley in and have them get rid of color. Yeah. Okay. As a Vikings fan, I feel the exact same way. <laughs> so let's say that uh, Washington wasn't going to bring back Cousins, and the Bears went out and got him, and then Washington's options include Jay Cutler. Are they excited about that? I don't think so. Andy Dalton. Probably Kirk Cousins. I might go Andy Dalton. Yeah. I, I might go Andy Dalton. I might go Kirk Cousins. I'm going to at least say that one's another toss-up. Starting quarterback... You have seven to choose from for the Cleveland Browns. None of them. Terrell Pryor? Well, RG3, I guess they already made that decision for us. Sure, okay, RG3 or Kirk Cousins. I think the Redskins already told Yeah, you're right. The Redskins already right. told us exactly. Uh, Tony Romo or Kirk Cousins? Kirk. That's just because of his age, though, right? I, would, I think I would, I would take Romo. I would take, I would take Romo for... A couple of years, I'd maybe take oh, Kirk Cousins. Let me, let yeah, me yeah, back up with But that. the problem is, is, is like, t- I think Tony Romo's a better quarterback. He just isn't going to play 16 yeah, games. Yeah, that's what I was just about to ask. Am I looking at that, assuming that he's gonna, that both of them are healthy for full seasons or what? No, we're talking we're talking about the best quarterbacks in the league right now. We're not talking about five years from now, right? Well, so we're talking about it's be right now. who's worth $22 million or right. Who's more this who's season. more worth twenty two million dollars than Kirk Cousins? Right, right. For one season. For Not next Tony season. Romo. Tony Romo. Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott. Probably Dak Prescott. I'm on the I mean, I think that's probably true, but I would like to Toss see up. another season. I would not give Dak Prescott twenty two million dollars next year. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, I don't I want to give Kirk Cousins that either. But. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch, we know the answer. Matt Stafford. Stafford. Yeah, Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, uh, yep. Tom Savage or Bortles, uh, not Bortles, uh, Osweiler. Nope. Andrew Luck. And Blake, Luck. Bort- Andrew Luck. Blake Bortles or Kirk Cousins. Alex Smith or Ooh, Kirk that. Cousins. No, I don't know. Ooh, I don't know. Really? For for which one? I'm not even sure which one you're talking about at this point. I'm confused by both of them. For Blake Bortles? Kirk Cousins. There's no. That's not even a conversation. Do you Isn't burn it? your no. shirt? For a fantasy quarterback, I would... No, fantasy quarterback, <laughs> completely different thing. 
Yeah, but I mean Jacksonville is terrible. Rich, where if you I at put on this Bortles one? on Washington, I'm taking I'm taking Bortles with that team. Thank you. Jacksonville is that bad. But wait, wait a second, wait a second. Hold on, time out. <laughs> did we see what Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns did last year? And they only added players this year. Who's their running back? Chris Ivory or Yeah. TJ Yeldon is who you're looking for. They they suck. Yeah, TJ Yeldon. Oh, sorry. Let's compare them to the Washington running yeah. back, shall we? Matt Jones got benched. Robert Kelly had a pretty solid year. Well, I know I'm on my I dynasty mean, team, but my point is, like, coming into the season, you definitely would not. You would be comparing Matt Jones to Chris Ivory, and you'd probably give it. You'd probably give it to Washington, and you'd be completely wrong because he was terrible. He fumbled the ball every game. They're, let's just say they're somewhat equal teams. And I would rather have the wide receivers from Jacksonville and a healthy Jordan Reed. I don't know. I feel like Washington's got more big play potential with Jackson Garcon. They do have more big play but Okay, let's okay, let's say so Washington I'll, is so marginally I'll, better. Kirk Cousins was way better. I think we put that one in a toss-up category. I'll, 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 I'll at All least right. agree that this isn't like a no conversation needed. All right, fine. It's, it's a toss-up. A toss up. I think it's no conversation. <laughs> Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> it's not like night and day. I mean, Alex Smith isn't terrible. No, he's not bad. But I would never pay him twenty two million dollars for what he does. He's a. But again, I wouldn't pay Kirk Cousins twenty two million. <laughs> That's how we got in this whole conversation. Alex Smith is a rich man, Sam Bradford. I would if I if I had to. Ouch. That was painful. If I had to either starter team or have a quarterback for one game and I had to choose between Alex Smith and Kirk Cousins, I would choose Kirk Cousins every time. Same thing with Bortles. <laughs> okay, keep going. Jared Goff or whoever started the season for Los Angeles. Okay, so who cares? Matt, Matt Moore or uh, the guys who, who I hate so much. Yeah. Cute wife, though. Great. Still take Kirk he Cousins. He played really... Life. What's Kirk Cousins' wife look like? He played really well the first few games, but yeah, I'd still take Cousins. <laughs> Sam Bradford or Kirk Cousins. Let's not forget that Sam Bradford is going to get $17 million next year if he stays on the Vikings. Kirk Cousins. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, Jets. Um... This one could be interesting. Uh, I'm just saying we've already named like at least, at least half a dozen. He's a top no. eight. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers. Okay, half a dozen. Exactly. Half Matthew a dozen. Stafford, Cam Newton. We're already at seven. Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Okay, but I never said top. it had to be top five. I'm changing the top ten. Big Ben. I said top. I know, but I said top ten. Okay, so we're still. Within striking distance of top 10, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. Because I'm looking at the rest of the list. <laughs> and there's maybe three more. There's going to be Russell Wilson. Yep. Big Ben. Mike Kaepernick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, where you're going to really have the conversation is Jameis Winston, uh, Carr, and that's it. Do I take Carr? Yeah, I would probably take Carr too. 
How take does Carr now that. fall into but the Dak Prescott? Yeah, I well, no, I think yeah, and that's the thing, especially yeah. for next year. He's coming off broken leg. Like, here's my point: is maybe we named ten total quarterbacks who we like in the league. How can you not pay Kirk Cousins? Like, I'm not saying even no, saying twenty two million dollars. You should give him a three year contract. I don't even care if it's seventeen million dollars a year. It, you're not paying for how good he is. You're paying for what your replacement is going to be. And there aren't there apparently aren't even fifteen NFL caliber quarterbacks in the league. Like, yeah, sure, you just want to stick somebody back there, fine. If you want a chance to win, and I think he gives them a chance to win, which I wouldn't have said last year, but he came back and he proved it. You told him to prove it, and he did. Yeah, how do you like that? And I don't think Deshaun Jackson is really a lot to write home about. And Pierre Garçon, I mean, neither one of those guys are going to be on the team next year for good reason. He's going to be thrown to the Achilles guy uh, from TCU who I drafted and can't think of his name. What's his name? I can't re- I can't remember it either. Yeah, they're going to be throwing a Jamison Crowder. He's going to have Robert Kelly, maybe Jordan Reed. Like, I don't know. If you really think uh, he can't, he doesn't deserve all the money that he would get guaranteed, then give him one year of... 22 million guaranteed because the alternative is giving him 30 or 40 million guaranteed and being tied to him for two years. So when you look at it like that, I, I maybe you give him the money. Maybe you just give him the franchise tag. Well, that's what they did this year. Yeah. No reason why they can't do it again. I should probably yeah. fucking trade for him in my dynasty league because I have Jamison Crowder. I have Robert Kelly and I have, Josh Doxon. Like, go Redskins. <laughs>